The service of prayer and preaching for the 13th Sunday after Trinity, September 3rd, 2023. We sing hymn LSB 583, God Has Spoken by His Prophets. God has spoken by his prophets, spoken his unchanging word, each from age to age proclaiming God the one, the righteous Lord. In the world's despair and turmoil, one firm anchor holds us fast. God is King, His throne eternal, God the first and God the last. God has spoken by Christ Jesus, Christ the everlasting Son, brightness of the Father's glory, with the Father ever one, spoken by the Word incarnate, God of God before time was, light of light to earth descending, He reveals our God to us. God is speaking by His Spirit, speaking to our hearts again. In the ageless Word declaring His own message now as then. Through the rise and fall of nations, one sure faith yet standing fast. God abides his word unchanging, God the first and God the last. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has...
has become my salvation. With joy will you draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. The Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. The Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. A reading from Second Chronicles, the 28th chapter. The men of Israel took captive 200,000 of their relatives, women, sons, and daughters. They also took much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord was there, whose name was Oded. And he went out to meet the army that came to Samaria and said to them, Behold, because the Lord, the God of your fathers, was angry with Judah, he gave them into your hand. But you have killed them in a rage that has reached up to heaven. And now you intend to subjugate the people of Judah and Jerusalem, male and female, as your slaves. Have you not sins of your own against the Lord your God? Now hear me and send back the captives from your relatives whom you have taken, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. Certain chiefs also of the men of Ephraim, Azariah the son of Johanan, Berechiah the son of Milshalhamoth, Jehezekiah the son of Shalom, and Amasa the son of Hadlai, stood up against those who were coming from the war and said to them, you shall not bring the captives in here, for you propose to bring upon us guilt against the Lord in addition to our present guilt and sins. For our guilt is already great, and there is fierce wrath against Israel. So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the princes at all the assembly, and the men who have been mentioned by name rose and took the captives. And with the spoil they clothed all who were naked among them. They clothed them and gave them sandals, provided them with food and drink, and anointed them. And carrying all the feeble among them on donkeys, they brought them to their kinsfolk at Jericho, the city of palm trees. Then they returned to Samaria. This is the word of the Lord.
Thanks be to God. The introit is verses from Psalm 74. for the covenant, O Lord. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Do not forget the clamor of your foes. O God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion where you have dwelt. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. Have regard for the covenant, O Lord. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Do not forget the clamor of your foes. A reading from Galatians, the third chapter. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Luke, the 10th chapter. Turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered correctly, Do this, 
and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We continue with a common responsory found on page 263. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly set in the heavens. Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. The Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. You shall have no other gods. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. On Labor Day weekend, our thoughts naturally turn to work or freedom from it. It is fitting today that our texts speak to the same. When Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, he is actually drawing upon the history recorded in Second Chronicles 28 and Hosea 6. 
Too often, these words of Jesus are watered down to an oversimple moral exhortation that basically says, if even the Samaritans can be good to the Jews, the Jews surely ought to be good to the Samaritans. So now, you go and be merciful to everyone. Well, the narrative of Second Chronicles gives an important context to the Good Samaritan story, so does the rest of Luke 10. Just in the text that was read, we have two parts. First, we hear Jesus rejoicing. Prompted by his own Holy Spirit, he thanks God for hiding the mysteries of the gospel from the wise and intelligent and revealing them to little babes. He rejoices that the Son has come to show unworthy sinful children what no one can see or comprehend with his own reason. He brings poor sinners to the knowledge of the loving Father in heaven. He shares this joy with his disciples, telling them that they are blessed for seeing what they see in their Savior. This is something that even the most important people in the world longed to see and hear, but couldn't. Second, we hear of an expert in the law coming to test Jesus by asking him what he should do to inherit eternal life. This is, of course, a rather odd question because... No one earns an inheritance. It is given. Nevertheless, Jesus engages with this man and asks him what the law says. The expert rightly answers, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> Jesus tells him to do that, and he will live. But the expert, like most experts, was not happy with the answer. He felt convicted and wanted to push it further. He really wanted to justify himself. He wanted to lower the bar for himself by figuring out who precisely was his neighbor. Then this prompts Jesus to tell the story of the Good Samaritan, a parable we all likely know pretty well by now. As I began studying these texts this week, I wrestled with what these two things had to do with each other. Why does the lectionary put the brackets with these two portions together? Jesus rejoices that God's grace has come to the unworthy, even as those who think they are so righteous remain blind to it. And then Jesus talks to a guy who thinks he has the law figured out. Again, the context of the entire chapter helps here. At the beginning of Luke 10, Jesus sends out 72 of his disciples to every town he himself was about to go. He gave them authority to cast out demons, heal the sick, and declare that God's kingdom had come. Jesus, the true King of Israel, the Lord of hosts and King of kings, was in their midst. He gave these 72 men a task to declare this and do his work. Now, this is important to note. Jesus gave these men their authority to do what they did. In the same way, God gives everyone authority to do whatever work he calls each to do, whether as a father or mother, a pastor, a hearer, a manager, a worker, or whatever station God places people. He has prepared our works ahead of time for us to walk in them. Here we see the great good work of the ministry entrusted to various men. He who hears you hears me, Jesus says. The men did as Jesus commanded them, and when they came back, they rejoiced. They rejoiced that the work God gave them to do actually worked. They did as Jesus told them to do, and they were amazed to see how powerful this work was. With great excitement, they told Jesus, Lord, even the demons do what we tell them in your name. But Jesus taught them not to rejoice merely in this. 
Just as Jesus gave them their work to do, Jesus also wanted them to see what he himself sees. Jesus saw something much greater than even this. While they were proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God, healing sicknesses and casting out demons in Jesus' name, Jesus was seeing the devil himself fall like lightning from heaven. So don't merely rejoice that you were successful in your work. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you are at peace with God because the great accuser, Satan, has been cast out. Your sins are forgiven because the Son of God has come in the flesh. By his bitter suffering and death, he was bringing poor sinners into the warm embrace of the Father. He was fulfilling the law for all who are rightly condemned by the law. It's because of this we can rejoice in the work that he gives us to do. When we do what God calls us to do in whatever station this might be, may he give us to see what he sees, his mercy and compassion on poor sinners. This is the theme of the entire chapter. God gives us our duties. He gives us our neighbor to love. He gives us our crosses to bear. These works themselves can't save us. In fact, it is in doing these works that we learn this very thing. When we strive to be merciful as God is merciful and to love as God loves, we find just how poor and miserable we are. It is through these things we see how much we need God's great compassion. It is in this way that Jesus teaches us to see in his gospel that which makes him and all the company of heaven rejoice. It's in the midst of our duties, our trials, our toil and labor when the gospel of Christ's salvation is the sweetest. It is, as he told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The disciples were rejoicing in the success of their work. This isn't a bad thing to rejoice in, but our work doesn't always seem successful. Despite the many visitations and conversations and teaching, the pastor and the congregation often don't see the results that we hope to see. Despite your labors in raising your children on the right path, they often go astray. The wandering man you try to help often doesn't ever seem to be able to get his act together. You give your time, your energy, your goods and money, and it doesn't seem to yield much results. Sure, sometimes it does, and we thank God for this, but Jesus teaches us the true outlook on our works. He who gave us these works to do in the first place, who even prepared them ahead of time, tells us to rejoice in this above all things, that our names have been written in heaven. Satan, that deceiving serpent, has lost his power to accuse you and keep your conscience trapped in guilt and shame. The chapter concludes with another familiar story about Two sisters whom Jesus knew. Martha invited them into her home and she worked tirelessly to serve them food while her sister Mary sat at Jesus' feet listening to him teach. Martha was working. She was dutiful. While the disciples had been ecstatic about how successful their mission had been, Martha was just as overwhelmed and frustrated by how her kitchen work was going. So she complained to Jesus that Mary wasn't helping her. Jesus then directed her to the one thing needful. Mary has chosen the better portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus isn't belittling Martha's work and service, just as he is not belittling the work of his 72 disciples when they were casting out demons. Instead, Jesus is again giving the right outlook on work. 
Rejoice in the gospel. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things will be added unto you. Don't allow the toil and trials of work get you down. He who gave you this work himself invites you to see and rejoice in the one thing needful. It is that Satan has been cast down. God is at peace with sinners, and his compassion continues to draw his unworthy children to his favor through the redemption of his dear son. Now with all that context, look again at our texts. Jesus rejoices in God's great mercy towards sinners. He invites his disciples to rejoice. Then some smart guy comes and tries to test him by engaging in a conversation about the law. Now the law is meant to be done. It calls for action flowing out of a heart of love for God and the neighbor. But this man treats the law like some kind of theory. He is more interested in theorizing about who his neighbor may or may not be than he is of actually walking in the law and loving as God loves. Jesus then tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which draws from history this lawyer should have already known because he was an expert in the Old Testament scriptures. These words of Jesus put things in perspective. You have a guy who gets beat up on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's left half dead. Two smart guys walk by, guys who no doubt would have known the law very well, at least in theory. But when these two guys walk by, they keep going, refusing to help the poor man. Then comes a punchline. A Samaritan walks by, one who doesn't know the law like the priests, Levites, and the other experts did. In fact, they had a lot of wonky ideas about God's word. It sounds absurd, but it drives the point home. The Samaritan had compassion on the man. He tended to his wounds, put him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn, paying for whatever was needed to help that beaten down man. Which of the three men was a neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves? Now, the expert in the law didn't want to say the Samaritan. How could a Samaritan be better at following the law than he or any one of his fellow Jews? But in avoiding the name Samaritan, the expert ended up giving an even better answer. The one who showed mercy, he said. This is what work is all about. It's about mercy. It's about loving your neighbor and showing compassion. So Jesus says, go and do as he did. The law can't give us life. If it could, then we would be justified and saved through the law. This is the irony of what Jesus says. Do that and you will live. The expert thought he could do something to inherit what no man can even know unless the Son of God reveals it. And yet there is also some great comfort hidden under Jesus' words. Of course, we can't possibly gain a life from the law since we can't perfectly fulfill what the law demands. Yet God still calls us to walk according to his law. And it is in your station in life where God wants you to hold on to his gospel, the sure hope of eternal life. You see, God doesn't give us our works to justify us, yet we naturally treat our works this way. We want to justify what we do and how much or how little we do it. Who is my neighbor is the question we all ask in various ways. It's simply an excuse. And there are plenty of them. God has given you children to raise in the fear and instruction of the Lord. When you neglect to talk about God's word at home or bring them to church as you should, you're despising these little children as if you're wiser or more intelligent than God. 
By not guarding them with the word of God, you're letting the devil and his thieving minions deceive them, steal their inheritance, and leave them dead in unbelief. When you ignore your neighbor in need, figuring that he should have done this or that differently, or when you justify why you don't need to respect your employees or employer, you're doing the same thing. It all involves justifying ourselves by coming up with some kind of excuse for why we don't need to do our duty. But again, this isn't why God gives you work to do. He gives you work to do because he is compassionate towards those whom he gives you to love. He wants you to strive to imitate his mercy. We all learn this in various ways. When one of your kids throws up in the middle of the night, you don't leave them to sleep in a puddle of vomit. No, you have compassion. When you take his clothes off, throw the soiled garments in the wash, spray the bed with something to get the stink out, give the kids some water, maybe a bath and a bucket, and then you may or may not get back to sleep. Is this all for nothing? Do you learn nothing by this? When you stumble upon someone in need, is this just by chance? God has prepared these works for you, and it is in the midst of these works where he wants you to learn his gospel. When your works of mercy have overwhelmed you, you are fatigued by compassion, you battle against the evil desire to just give up, and you learn more and more how much you fall short. It is the Lord himself who gives you rest in his perfect mercy and compassion. He has been a neighbor to you who are fallen in your sins. He calls you in whatever situation he places you to rejoice in what he sees. The devil has been cast down. You are born into the family of God and are an heir of eternal life through the death of his son. Dear child of God, your wounds are bound. Wine has been poured. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The, loud, the clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We sing hymn LSB 765, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Is his own in 
interpreter, and he will make it plain. You fearful saints, fresh courage, take the clouds you so much dread. Are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the gift of divine peace and of pardon with all our heart and with all our mind, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the Holy Christian Church, here and scattered throughout the world, and for the proclamation of the gospel and the calling of all to faith, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For this nation, for our cities and communities, and for the common welfare of us all, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For seasonable weather and for the fruitfulness of the earth, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who labor, for those whose work is difficult or dangerous, and for all who travel, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all those in need, for the hungry and homeless, for the widowed and orphaned, and for all those in prison, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the sick and the dying, and for all those who care for them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Finally, for these and for all our needs of body and soul, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Almighty and everlasting God, give us an increase of faith, hope, and charity, and that we may obtain what you have promised. Make us love what you have commanded. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. to age shall be our 
our chief endeavor. Through life it guides our way, in death it is our stay. Lord, grant while worlds endure, we keep its teachings pure. Throughout all generations. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless and preserve us. Amen. We sing him LSB 844, Lord of all nations, grant me grace. Divinely touched by thee. 